Welcome to the Creek Church. Let's do uh, something real quick. Let's put our hands together one more time for Jesus. Hey, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the reason you're here today, right? It's so good to see everybody today, and I'm just going to jump right into it. What I want to talk to you all about today is Christians, because one of the things I learned uh, when I was growing up and reading through Scripture is uh, the term Christian was actually used uh, in a derogatory way in the first century, uh, and it was used by non-Christians to describe the people following after Jesus in the first century. So Jesus, if you go back and you begin to read in the scripture, he never called his followers Christians, not one time. He actually called them disciples. And the word disciple can be a very, terif a very terrifying word for everybody because it so clearly defines who we are as a people. Let me put it like this. You can be a Christian today and believe anything. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it is very clear because Jesus so narrowly defines what it means to be a disciple in the scripture. Uh, in fact, Jesus said, if you forget everything else, the one thing that defines my followers is this, that they will love one another. And not only that they'll love one another, but they'll love as I have loved. And today what I want to do is I want to show you this morning exactly how Jesus loves people. Now, the thing that makes this teaching so profound and stick out to me is his audience. Jesus uh, finds himself surrounded by two different groups of people. One group felt like they were so far away from God that God would never approve of them. And then you had another group that felt like they were so good that God had already approved of them. And I think that it's safe to say today with this many people in the room, and if you're watching in Somerset or Middlesbrough or in Williamsburg or just at home on your couch, we've lived long enough that we've been around both sets of these people. I've met people in my life that felt like they were so far away from God and they've done so much in their life that God would never approve of them. But I've also met those people throughout my life that felt like they were God's gift to ministry. And they felt like, hey, God is blessed to have me on his team. And I just, aren't those just the funnest people? Uh, to be around. So Jesus realizes that they, both groups, they're both wrong, but he is the master teacher. So he decides that he's not going to address a specific issue. Instead of causing one of the groups to feel like they've been wrong their whole life, what he's going to do is he's going to show both groups what grace is really all about. Now, if you grew up in church, you know at least half of the story that I'm going to share with you today. And if you didn't grow up in church, you probably at least heard the story. But I want to introduce you this morning to Jesus' audience. And I just want you to know, this first part's really huge to me. Look at what he says here in Luke chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And I want you to picture this in your mind. Jesus has entered the scene. He's getting ready to do some teaching. And all these people start gathering around him. But the thing I want to point out about this group is people hated tax collectors. They think about they would show up in tricked out escalades and, and their posse would kind of roll out of it and hold the door open for them and they could come in and take as much money as they wanted to as long as Rome got their share. So people absolutely hated tax collectors and they hated them so much, look, that they didn't even want to lump them in with the sinners. Like it's two different groups of people. They, they're, they're lumping their, their own category of bad. And then you had everybody else, this group that knew that God would never approve of them because of their occupation or their lifestyle or something that was going on in their life. They were sinners. So think about this. The front row is filled with the worst society had to offer. 
And then the back rows filled with tax collectors. Now, you also had the Pharisees and the teachers of the law coming. And look at what they were saying in verse 2. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they could not figure out why people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And they couldn't figure out why Jesus, who was nothing like them, seemed to like them as well. So there was so much tension there, so much tension in the air surrounding this group of people. And here was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Here's their question. They're saying, does this man, does Jesus condone their behavior? Have you heard him one time say, you need to stop gathering taxes and you need to stop sleeping around and you need to stop doing this and you need to stop doing that? Now, I already told you that Jesus is the master teacher, but he doesn't begin by beating people down because of their shortcomings. Jesus begins about speaking, speaking about something that they can all agree on because he's the master communicator. So look at what he says in verse four. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? I'm telling you, for the very first time maybe in history, you have the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the tax collectors and the sinner all in one group and they're all nodding their head in the same direction. They've never agreed on anything, but all of a sudden Jesus has this group on the same page together. And then Jesus says, listen, if, you, if that was you and you found the lost sheep, wouldn't you want to go out and tell everybody that you found it? And wouldn't you want to rejoice? Wouldn't you want to throw a party because you found what was lost? And they all begin once again nodding their head in the same direction because everybody has lost something. I've lost something. You've lost something. Everybody Jesus is speaking to at this time, they've all lost something. So they understand exactly what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus looks at them and says, don't you know, don't you understand that God is more excited about a lost person returning than he is the 99 that was never lost to begin with? And before they could put all this together, he dives into another story. And in verse 11, he jumps right into it and said, there was a man who had two sons. Now, Jesus describes the older son as the behavior and the second son as the misbehavior. Now, let, let me just ask a question to everybody in the room. How many firstborn sons or daughters do we have in the room today? Just raise your hand. Look at, all, look at all you behaviors. That's what you're known as. You're known as the behavior. The older one always wanted to do everything right, but the younger one always had a different idea. And all of you firstborn sitting in the room right now, you know that I'm telling you the truth because you know that your younger brother or sister was as mixed up as a termite and a wooden yo-yo. <laughs> oh, they were. They were crazy as bed bugs. The craziest, I mean, they, I mean, always into something. You always have to clean up and fix everything. Now, you understand, you're, you're laughing because I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. Now, this is a made-up story, and Jesus is about to drive it to a ridiculous extreme to make his point. So in verse 12, Jesus says that the younger son goes to the father, and, and I'm going to say it to you this morning in terms that's going to raise the emotion in the room, just like I believe it did in the day that Jesus said it to the crowd that he was speaking to. The younger son goes to the dad, and he looks the dad right in the eye. And he says, Dad, you know what? I wish you would just go ahead and die. But, I, I mean, it's obvious I'm looking at you right now, and it looks like you're going to live a little bit longer. So how about this? 
How about you pretend like you're dead so I can get my inheritance and I can get what's coming to me? Can I tell you that as soon as Jesus said that, I believe everyone in Jesus' crowd was equally offended by that because they were sons or they had sons. And because this is a story and Jesus can drive it and take it any way he wants to, he said, now, you're not going to believe what happened after that. He said, the father began to liquidate all of his belongings so he could give it to the younger son. And I could have imagined when Jesus said that, you could have probably heard a pin drop in the crowd. But he went on and he said, as that happened, the younger son hung around for just a little while but he decided to move off and he gathered up all that he had been given by the father and he moved off to a distant land. Now, most of you in this room, you've heard this story and you know that he chose a lifestyle that he could not long afford. And he spent what took his father a lifetime to attain. And I can imagine the anger and the offense in Jesus's audience was unanimous at this point. Look at verse 14. Since after he'd spent everything, everything the father had given him, it's all gone. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. At this point in the story, Everybody in Jesus' audience was like, oh, yes, yeah, this is great. He's, this kid is going to get exactly what he deserves. In fact, I believe the whole group's nervous almost because they've agreed with each other up, uh, with about everything up to this point. And Jesus has driven this story in a Jewish culture to an ultimate extreme, a young Jewish boy taking care of pigs, thinking about eating what only pigs would eat. Now, if Jesus would have stopped the story there, I think it would have been a great story. In fact, everyone would have went home and they would have shared it at the dinner table. I can imagine the dad going home and sitting down at the head of the table and him beginning to, to yell for the children, 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 I want you to come to the dinner table. I've got a great story that I heard today that I want to tell you. Here's what happens when you don't obey your father. You reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. But can I tell you, Jesus isn't going to let that happen because Jesus is going to teach this audience about grace. Look at what he says in verse 17. He says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to the father. And now Jesus' audience, they're listening to this and they're thinking, man, this is great. This kid is gonna get what's coming to him. And I believe everyone in Jesus' audience, I believe they knew what the son deserved. And they had an idea of what was gonna happen when he got in front of the father. But I want you to keep this in mind. The son's not going back to be asked to be reinstated as a son. He just wants a better job. And he knows that his father's servants are being treated better than his current boss is treating him at this time. So look at what he says in verse 20. So he got up, 
He went to the Father, but while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and was filled with what? I could imagine if Jesus stopped right there as he's telling the story and he asked them to fill in the blank, that everybody there, everybody in the audience would have said anger. Because how dare the Son humiliate the Father in this way? Anger. Isn't that what you're supposed to feel when someone takes advantage of you? Righteous indignation. Anger. He's angry. Look at what he says in verse 20, and I love this. It says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And listen, this is, I'm just thinking about this in my mind as I read this. I'm thinking, we've all got, we're fathers. There's fathers in here, and we love our children. And I can imagine this father, as soon as this young son left, he sat out on the porch night after night after night after night, watching and looking down the road, waiting and hoping that the young son would come back. And I believe that I could see him almost crying, saying, I, I miss my son. I don't know where he's at, what's going on. And the mother coming out and trying to console him and saying, don't worry, it's in God's hands. And all of a sudden, he saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. I can imagine after weeks maybe of sitting there and waiting for his son, maybe months, all of a sudden he's looking down the road and he sees something in the distance and he keeps, keeps looking. And all of a sudden you can tell it's the son. It's his son. And he gets up, the Bible says, and he begins to run to the son. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but in this day and time, it was very undignified for a man to run. And it was always the younger people would come to the older. But in this story that Jesus is telling, it says that he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to the son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And now everybody that's listening to Jesus' story is confused. Because they know in all of Jesus' stories, somebody represents you and somebody represents God. And up until this point, they were pretty sure that the father represented God and this kid was about to get what he deserved because all the tax collectors and all the sinners thought, let's live it up while we can because if there is a God and if there's truly a judgment, it's not going to be good for me. And all the teachers of the law and all the self-righteous church people thought, you know what, I deserve the good that's, the good that's coming to me. And they deserve all the bad that's going to them. But Jesus has destroyed this way of thinking as the father throws his arms around a stinking son. And now everybody listening is confused. It goes on to say, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, and listen to his excitement. He said, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. He goes on. He says, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate, and they begin to have this huge party. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, this might be where the story ended for you. And if you've never been in church, this might be the only part of the story that you actually know. But in the beginning, I want to remind you that the story said that this guy had two sons. And the behavior, the firstborn, was out doing what good sons do. He was working. He had a job. 
And as he's coming home from the fields, all of a sudden he hears music coming from the town. And he begins to look and he sees all the townspeople coming in. And oh my, somebody's killed the fatted calf. My dad is going to die. But wait a minute. That looks like Trevor Barton pulling that wagon. I mean, what in the world's going on? I mean, that was for my graduation. That was for my wedding. That was for me and my friends to have a good time with. What's going on? And all of a sudden, one of the servants comes running out to the elder son. And the elder son looks at him. And he says, what's happening in the town right now? And the servant looks back at him. And he said, listen, your brother is back. And I can imagine when he heard that, I can imagine his blood beginning to boil up inside him. He said, really? Well, I expected to see him on that wagon and the servant said, well, your brother's back. Your dad's killed the fattened calf, and he wants you to get cleaned up and come into the party. Can I tell you that at this point, I believe everyone in Jesus' audience identifies with the older son? Because let me tell you the truth. If my younger brother had did that, if he did that to my dad, I know how I'd feel today. I'd be angry. I'd be angry, I'd refuse to go in, and I wouldn't want anything to do with it. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever met any angry Christians? Have you ever been around, did you ever have an angry Sunday school teacher? I, I had a couple of those growing up. Have you ever been around an angry pastor? Or, or have you ever like turned the television on and you've watched television preachers and you've wondered like, why are they so mad? Did you ever leave a church, leave a church because you were, just, you were just tired of being around angry Christians? Did you ever feel like they were just, I mean, they're mad at the world and, and, and they wanted you to know how real hell was and it was almost like they wanted you to know about it because they were looking forward to seeing that take place. I mean, what's up with all the angry Christians today? Why is it that it seems like they're against everything? Heck, sometimes I feel like they're against me. And I understand that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But did anybody ever tell them that? I mean, the, the son, he's angry. And he refuses to go in to the party. So now you have a dad who's throwing a party. He's invited the entire community. He's killed the fattened calf. And on one side of the house is a son who doesn't feel like he's worthy to come to the party. And on the other side of the house is the other son who agrees the younger brother doesn't deserve to come. Now everyone in Jesus' audience is confused because none of them understood what God the Father is truly like. And none of them understand, like so many of us today, how God views sinners. And how God sees people that are far away from him today. And now everyone in Jesus' audience, they're confused because none of them understood what the father's like. It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him, but he answered his father and listened to the anger in this. He said, look. All these years, I've been slaving for you, and you never, I've never disobeyed your orders. And yet, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he wouldn't even call him his brother. 
He said, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, and I'm just going to stop there and say, nowhere in Scripture do we find that that's what that younger son was doing. But I can imagine the anger of the older brother saying, hey, Dad, I'm just telling you, don't go in and tell Mom. But he's been out and he's spent all the money on prostitutes and everything else. And now he's come home and you've killed the fattened calf for him. And listen to the response of the father. Oh, this is just like our God. My son, you're always with me. It's almost like Jesus is referring back as he's telling the story about the 99 and the one. He says, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. I can imagine as the older brother heard that, the anger again coming up and him saying, Dad, what, what, what are you talking about? Did you hear what I just said? Are you trying to change the subject? Did you hear my speech? What does me being with you have to do with anything? And the father looks back at him and he says it has everything to do with everything because it's what I value the most. You've always been with me. Everything that I have today is yours. And I'm not going to divide everything again. You're going to get what belongs to you. I haven't forgotten about you. I can imagine as he looked at it, he said, you're always with me. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead to us. He wasn't with us. And now he's alive. He's with us. And I need you to come to the party, not because your brother's getting what he deserves. This isn't about performance. It's about proximity. Your brother's back. You never left. I don't know what you're so mad about. You need to go in and talk to your brother because he's hung up on the same thing you're hung up on. You two are just alike. You think this party's about performance. He doesn't think he's good enough. You don't think he's good enough. It's not about performance. It's about proximity. Do you know what the root is when it comes to following Jesus? And I believe this can be uncomfortable for a lot of people. But I believe it can change you, and it's changed me, and I believe it can change the world. But God could not love you any more than he loves you right now. And I promise you this today, there is nothing that you could ever do that's going to cause God to love you any less. Look at it this way. God never gets mad at lost things, and neither do you. Now, you might get mad at yourself when you lose your phone or your keys, but you don't get mad at your things. So why do we get mad at lost people? Why do we get mad when we see somebody that's far from God doing things that we think they ought not do, but instead of having compassion, we have anger? I'll tell you where I think it comes from. I think it comes from self-righteousness. I think somewhere in the back of our mind when we see people who get something like the younger son did, uh, he, gets, he gets blessed rather than getting what he deserves. Somewhere in the back of our mind, we begin to think to ourselves, you know what, I don't get it. I don't understand that. I've been faithful and I've been going to church and I've been tithing and I've done this and I've done that and I, 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 I. 
And God said, listen, all that's great, but that's not the issue. The issue is with. The issue is always gonna be about people. And when you and when I when we, when we get this, when it saturates the way we think and it gets rid of our self-righteousness, when we become that, sin will always break our hearts and repentance will always stir our heart. And when we see someone in sin or they're living in sin, when our society embraces sin, it's not gonna make us angry anymore. It's gonna break our heart. And if it doesn't break your heart, you've got some work to do. So in closing, I want to talk to the prodigal that's in the room. Because some of you are the prodigal. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know, but at one time in your life, you were on fire for God, and you remember wanting to be at church every time the doors were open, and you wanted to serve, and you just wanted to tell people about Jesus. But something happened in your life. It might have been church hurt. Maybe a pastor did something or said something, a deacon, somebody else in the church, another, another member. Maybe it was just life. Something happened. Some of you have turned your back on God. Some of you used to know the joy of Jesus, but somehow you've just lost it. Can I tell you something? I don't care what it is. I want you to know this morning that God is not mad at you. Wherever you are, whatever it is that you're doing, whatever coming home looks like to you, when you come home, I want you to understand today, hey, we're not going to hold up a list of things against you when you get here because we're not the older brother. We don't care. As a matter of fact, I don't care what you did last year. I don't care what you did last month. I don't even care what you did last night. It's irrelevant. We just want you to be with, with us, with Jesus. And we're going to be a church that celebrates those things because every single one of us was a prodigal at one time. Let me say it like this. Let me say it like Jesus did. We have to celebrate because this brother or this sister of ours, which might be you this morning, was dead. And some of you are so tired of being dead this morning. I believe some of you are so ready to come back to life. Maybe you're the one in this room right now and you're lost. You've never asked Jesus to save you, but here you are this morning and you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you know that there's something stirring inside of you right now. And if you'd just be quiet enough and listen, you'd hear God say your name and calling you out and saying, it's you. I want you. I want you to come home. And can I tell you, if you just repent, if you'll turn to him, you'll be found. And it's not because God doesn't know where you are. You'll be found because you'll once again be with. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. So here's my prayer today. My prayer is that God stomps all the self-righteousness out of us. And in the process of that, we would become individuals and churches who are characterized by grace and truth and love. And when we see people that are far from God, that we would respond like this father did. That we wouldn't become angry because of what's going on in their life, but we would find compassion and love and that we might be the ones that run to them to bring them back home.
So here's what I'm going to ask you to do this morning, just for a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. With nobody looking around and listen, I'm not going to come out and get you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you this morning. But maybe you're here and you're the prodigal. You once knew the joy of Jesus. You knew, hey, you knew all the goodness of God, but something happened and you turned. But right here this morning, you feel God moving and stirring in your life. And you're saying, you know what, Sean, right now I want to rededicate my life. I want to say, hey, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm surrendering everything again, and I'm giving my life back to Jesus. If that's you, with nobody looking around, would you just be brave enough to raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to do that. Amen. I see you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Maybe you're here, and you're the person that was lost. You don't even know who God is. But you're here today and you want to say, you know what? I know I'm here for a reason. And I've never asked Jesus to save me. And what I want to do right now is I want to, I, I want to tell God that I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. And I know that he's my, my, my only help. With nobody looking, if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to save you, and right now you want to say, Jesus, save me. Would you be, would you be brave and raise your hand? Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I see you. Thank you so much. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for who you are today. You're such a good God. You're so compassionate. You're so loving. And Lord, for every person that raised their hand in here, Lord, I pray a tremendous blessing over them. I pray right now, Lord, that you'd begin to do a, a, a miraculous work in their life. I pray that you'd begin to draw close to them. I pray that your voice would be loud as they pray and speak to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, for uh, just an outpouring of your spirit. Lord, thank you for being good. Thank you for being compassionate. Thank you for loving us when we're at our worst. And so, Lord, right now, I honor you, and I just say I love you, and we love you, just go before us, lead God and direct us in a path that you'd be pleased with. And I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ.